There is scientific consensus that gender-affirming care saves lives and is the most effective way to support gender-diverse people. That consensus, however, is sometimes drowned out by fear-mongering that dances around the issue with the goal of riling up a political base with talk of bathrooms and women's sports and drag queen story hour. None of these things is a real threat or presents a real problem, but they can be useful when certain groups want to focus hatred on the gender-diverse community without explicitly saying they're targeting the gender-diverse community. My name is Eric Bowman, I'm the communications person at the Canadian Psychological Association, and this is Mindful. I came across an article from Brandon Manitoba about Pi Day, a community event celebrating gender diversity and facilitating discussions between community members in order to increase support and understanding. And one of the participants was listed as both a performer, playing her music at the event, and also as a speaker in her role as a psychologist. One of the best things about this job I have is that I was immediately able to look her up and invite her to come on the podcast. So let's meet today's guest. My name is uh, Dr. Anastasia Jane Gibson. Um, I'm a registered clinical psychologist in the province of Manitoba. Um, my title is an assistant professor, so I work uh, through the clinical health psychology program at the University of Manitoba, and I'm uh, stationed, for the lack of a better word, out of uh, Brandon, Manitoba, doing clinical work here for community-based uh, services. And I've been in this capacity for the past 18 years. I became aware of you because of an article that was written in mm -hmm. Brandon about a community event where they referred to you as a musician and psychologist. They put musician first. Is musician <laughs> first for you? So, yeah, that's a good question. The event was kind of a first for me, I just because I was asked to do both. Usually I'm asked to either perform, like do music, uh, which I, I perform as Anastasia Jane, that's my uh, stage name, or um, I'm asked to speak as Dr. Anastasia Gibson. So this was my first um, my first attempt at combining both of those because they they folks wanted to know the experience of uh, a transgender woman and especially being able to have a message about being um, kind of intentional uh, and affirming. This was the notion, the idea of Pi Day is that these are folks in affirming church communities that wanted to learn more, wanted to be more intentional, more purposeful in their connection with other folks and were open and not only open, but were willing and eager to learn more information. So I had an opportunity to sing. I do original music based on my own experience. I had come out two years ago, actually. So I'm kind of a even though I'm 53 years old, I'm kind of a spring chicken uh, when it comes to being able to live authentically. And especially living, coming out authentically as a psychologist. I've, I've been here, like I said, for 18 years in Brandon, and I was known a certain way, especially in kind of semi-rural Manitoba. And to come out kind of as boldly as I did for a lot of folks was quite eye-opening, quite a shock for some. So I had written music based on that experience. So I had put out a an album, which folks can find on Spotify and Apple Music uh, under the um, 
under the name Anastasia Jane. And that music has to do with my experience. Eric, it has to do with that 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 whole cluster of emotions that that kind of went with that, right? From from my being closeted through all of those emotions and all of those experiences to finally being able to come out authentically. And not only recognizing that, no, the world didn't come to an end, but in all actuality, I was able to lead a richer life and a richer experience and make deeper, more authentic connections based on that. And that was huge for me. So with the uh, the pie event, which is what it's called, they had asked me to do my music, which of course talks about my journey and talk a little bit from putting wearing the psychologist cap where I was able to talk about maybe some of the some of the concerns that are facing our community at this point and being able to be provide some guidance and a, start a conversation about, like I said, being more intentional in one's work and unfortunately and the the issue with that or or the the um the importance of that is one's being able to take their own personal inventory of themselves i can stop at any time i'm quite <laughs> long-winded as you can see i'm used to public speaking so i could keep rattling on for 40 minutes but that's that, that was kind of the the gist of it so yes i do music on the side, that's kind of my, for my Jekyll and Hyde, that's my Hyde persona. Um, and I've been doing that for a long time, but I do that, like I said, is Anastasia Jane. Perhaps yeah. if you'll allow us, we'll close out this episode with one of your, with one of your tracks from Spotify. Oh my goodness. That would be fantastic. Thank you so much. Well, I thank you because we're not allowed, we really can't afford to license real music uh, for real people very often. So if you'll allow us to do it, we can have some real music that's not just my friend Dave's uh, bumper music on both ends, which would be terrific. (laughs) (laughs) That would be fantastic. That would be lovely. Thank you so much. All right. And you mentioned that this event involved a lot of faith groups looking Mm -hmm. to learn to understand more about the transgender community, about Mm -hmm. non-binary people and that sort of thing. And I think that we, a lot of the time, think of faith communities as sort of the place where the hatred of the trans community and non-binary community comes from. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that it is like that anymore, but I find it quite interesting that you say there are faith groups who are really out there trying to understand this, trying to uh, become better citizens uh, by their understanding of that. How did those conversations go? Well, the conversations went very well. And I was so happy that I, I was in a place where that, that we could have that conversation. But you're absolutely right. You know, when, when somebody thinks about faith communities, there's an assumption that there's going to be condemnation, there's going to be rejection, and there's going to be ridicule. And there are stories of folks like that. There's stories of folks that are in the faith communities right now that uh, had been in churches, had been part, not only church, but part of their own communities, and had these kind of, uh, these internalized, the, the, these kind of transphobic internalized messages that had occurred about what that means, right? And uh, I'm going to kind of use the, the more global term gender diverse. I, I kind of prefer that because it encapsulates, you know, transgender, non-binary, two-spirit, gender queer. So, you know, you're finding this kind of because I do find that folks who 
uh, do present as non-binary or do express themselves as non-binary have additional difficulties. You know, trying to talk to somebody about what the pronouns they, them are, or maybe they don't comfortably fit within a binary. I almost find that because I am a transgender female with pronouns she and her, even though there is this, uh, and there still is a a lot of negativity that's associated with our community as as a whole. There's additional difficulty when you're dealing with folks who might be a little more gender fluid or non-binary and using they and them pronouns. It's just, it, it's, it's additionally difficult. So I like to use that kind of more umbrella term gender diverse. The, the conversations went incredibly well. And, and the task for me was to re-enter a space like that, because of course, I had my own experiences with the faith community, you know, as, as I've transitioned. And, you know, some, some of it was, as you could expect, discomfort. And, and I don't fault folks for being uncomfortable with it because it's new. Sometimes when we're faced with something that challenges us, it is uncomfortable. But what I appreciated was that how do you work with that discomfort? Will you be open to it? You have a conversation. You create that space where you can dialogue about it. So one of the tasks in my uh, presentation and my discussion was to look at what we call our own implicit biases. Those are those kind of, um, those internalized schema, schemata that we, we have about certain marginalized groups specifically. And as somebody who's transgender myself, I had a lot of internalized transphobia. There's a reason why I didn't come out until I was 51 years old, because of these messages. So the, the, the challenge was to have folks take their own kind of personal inventory of those messages that they had experienced. But honestly, it's, it's kind of easy to come out and say, yes, I'm all for you. I'm supporting you and, and giving it, you know, saying you're giving it 100%. But really, if we're going to be intentional with, with our efforts toward being more inclusive, being more affirming, uh, it's so important to really take a step back and look at some of those lagging below the surface uh, messages that we have. And we all have them. My yeah. goodness. Uh, I can remember, Eric, when I went to um, even my undergraduate work, which was in the 90s, uh, and my abnormal psychology uh, class and my abnormal psychology textbook, they talked about transvestism. I knew I was trans at that time. I knew I was a transgender female, but my goodness, I wouldn't express it. Right. I had, I, I, you know, I thought that even though I was kind of being trained and, and I was kind of gearing up to be a clinical psychologist, at that point, there were still those messages, even for those folks that we respected. My abnormal psychology professor, I respected them. The Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, the, the fourth edition at that point, I respected it. It was part of our accepted nomenclature at that time. It was important. This was our Bible. And, and so that was. must, yeah, that must lead to a lot of internalized transphobia almost, Ex I think, right? Exactly. Well, Eric, and this is the thing, uh, we'd have a, a class 
were that we would have bestiality and pedophilia. And in between that, we, there was a conversation on transvestism, which is what it was called at the time. And I remember in our class, um, the a picture of, uh, and I don't know if you're, you know, your familiarity with with kind of drag culture or queer culture, uh, but there was I, a. Picture. I will say I'm more familiar with drag and queer culture than I am with the DSM. I, I okay. Will say. <laughs> so I don't know if you're familiar with um, a popular drag queen from the uh, 1970s and 80s named Divine. Yes. Um, and the John Waters movies in that. Yes. Right? Yeah. Okay, so you remember the the movie Pink Flamingo? I do. Okay, that was where uh, Divine was intended to be this shady kind of dirty character. So right. there was a picture of what transvestism, transvestism is, and it was a picture of Divine in, like walking around in the movie. It was a screenshot from the, from that movie uh pink flamingos that was my representation of what transvestism was at that time mm -hmm. so i like you said i internalized that so i kept it i kept it quiet so to make a long story short eric i i shared that i have my own internalized transphobia so that those beliefs and those messages that we have Sometimes they linger because they were there when we were young. And let's face it, those messages that we have from our peers, from the colleagues that we trust, from our families, they linger. And sometimes we need to look at it square on before we can do anything about it, rather than just accepting carte blanche that, no, I love all, trans, uh, I love all gender diverse folks. But then somebody comes up and says a joke, right? Uh, and then you find yourself laughing. It's like, oh, okay, there's still something lingering. So without shame or guilt, I encouraged folks, I challenged folks to really assess their own transphobic comments or the comments they might have had earlier on, which leads me to kind of the state of things Currently, I had also shared messages that I had recently experienced as being kind of an out and proud trans woman, where it was highlighting folks that were saying, oh, you're mentally ill. These are your comments on social media, right? TikTok right. or what have you. You know, you're socially, you know, or you're, you're mentally ill. You're confused. You know, you're, you're uh, another white privileged male that is uh, trying to take spotlight away from cisgender women. And for those who don't know, uh, the term cisgender is used quite often, and it's not a derogatory comment against folks who are born biological, but it just, it separates that. It, it's folks that are born kind of biologically male or female who still adhere to and identify with the gender that they were born into. That's right. that's the term cis, cisgender. So it's, yeah, j just having a conversation that these messages that we hear, especially down South, that, uh, you know, are, are creeping up, can plant seeds or can ignite things within us. And I just want to nip that in the bud with folks. You're hearing very sneaky terminology now from people who right. are against that. Uh, two terms that I had heard most recently is the term transgenderism. 
I don't know if you've heard that. Uh, it, it's a term no. that, that that's sneaky, that, that folks who are kind of against or not supportive of gender-affirming care, or even folks who are gender-diverse in general. There is one famous quote now that transgender transgenderism should be eradicated. Oh my goodness. Right. This was this was from a politician. There were from a few politicians. I don't want to start naming names, but I mean this was messages that were happening down south that folks in in Canada, believe it or not, were starting to adhere to. And we do sort of we do parrot American talking points a lot of the time. A few weeks, months, or even years later, it does move up here for sure. And this is, you know, I, I don't, I find it hard to wrap my head around how, especially one side of the American political spectrum has decided this is the culture war. This is the hill they want to die on. This is the way that they're going to drum up the most number of votes is by attacking, you know, less than 5% of the population, uh, you know, something that affects nobody in their own life in any way. It seems bonkers to me, but this seems to be where they're uh, they're really heading this way. And so are we up here in a lot of ways. It, it Well, yes. And, and that's the concern that I have. And it, you, you had mentioned sometimes it's months, sometimes it's years. I've noticed that it was quite automatic. Being Again, a, a, an out and proud transgender female in the community of Brandon. I've also been quite involved in our Brandon Pride events as well. This isn't an o- officially a plug, but I am going to plug it anyway <laughs> because it does tie into uh, you know kind of a comment I want to make this Friday. So I think it's timely that you and I are having this conversation because this Friday, March thirty first is the International Transgender Day of Visibility. And it's international. And this has been going on since, I believe, 2007, 2009. I can't remember the exact date, but for quite a while. But it's an opportunity for folks who are gender diverse to be visible, to celebrate, and to educate. So we're we're putting on quite a, an elaborate event here in Brandon, where that folks who are in the gender diverse community can go off and can show off a little bit. So we have folks who are performers, poets, or even just showcasing folks who are comfortable with expressing that, yes, I'm gender diverse as well. It's very exciting. And it kind of flies in the face of uh, those folks that are trying to squelch this. Um, A number of folks that are participating in this are much younger than my 53 years. And that is exciting to me, but folks are scared because part of the messaging, uh, Eric, that I'm sure you've, you've heard down south or that's trickling up, and this is how it's sold, is that you know we're talking about if somebody is taking hormone replacement therapy, that the term now, and it's all about spin, it's these are youth, these you know, they're being preyed upon by right. uh, the left. They're being preyed upon by a healthcare system, and they're being influenced by other folks in the queer community, whether that be older transgender folks like myself or right. now drag queens reading to children, that these are young kids that are being, they're impressionable, that they are being chem- going to be chemically castrated. And 
uh, surgically castrated uh, without acknowledging the, the, the research. And I, I won't get on my soapbox here, Eric, except to say this, that the research in terms of gender-affirming care regarding folks and their emotional and physical health is overwhelmingly positive. Conversely, yeah. conversion therapy is classically denounced by by psychologists here in Canada, by psychologists in the United States, by psychologists in the Western world, and by psychiatrists as well. It is now considered unethical and in some cases a legal practice. But this is what I think, again, subtly, that this movement is preaching. Well, um, and I think, I think subtly is the key word, right? Because it strikes me, and it, you know, I'm a communications person, not a psychologist, yes. right? But from a messaging standpoint, you can't really make the case against trends, uh, against uh, gender diversity based on any sort of science or literature, because like you said, right, every major medical establishment in the world is, you know, in favor of gender affirming care and so mm -hmm. on. So you have to come up with other ways to frighten people about it. And so you invent this scare about what if there's somebody in my bathroom, right? Or what if somebody's competing in women's sports and winning them all because, you know, they're, they were born male, right? All of these yeah. things that really aren't issues. They're not really things. Drag queen story hour is not really a thing. That's not hurting anyone, but you can make that case more easily than you can saying something is scientifically valid when it's not, right? Absolutely. Eric, and you're, you're touching on some real chestnuts here, right? The idea of, of washroom usage and the idea that uh, folks who are trans or gender diverse are going to prey upon. Well, that's the message in general is that we're preying upon the youth. So that's what strikes fear into folks. Not, not that I'm trying to, uh, I, I want to watch how I say this carefully, but I'm recognizing I've been biologically and socially transitioning for the last two years. Right. I've been using women's washrooms for that amount of time, you know, and, and thankfully, yes, the estrogen does do things to the human body or else we wouldn't be taking it. It makes folks, their bodies more in line with who they are. That being said, then, I think I would make a lot of, if we're talking about strictly binary, if it was a men's washroom, I think I would make a lot of men very uncomfortable personally walking into a men's washroom. Right. Then I would a woman. I, I, I would be out of place being in a men's washroom at this point. However, if we're taking that argument in terms of where I should be, that's where I should go. That's where I should go into a men's washroom because I was born biologically male. And that's just, like I said, that that's, it's that idea of we're a danger. And that's the emotional piece because people don't know. That's how they sell it, Eric, is that people yeah. don't know. People are unaware. Most, many folks have never met or at least didn't realize that they've met somebody who is gender diverse. So they don't know. They've never had a conversation with them. They've never had an opportunity to explore that. They're kind of stuck then in these stereotypes that we have, or politicians, or folks that, pardon my language, are fear-mongering. Yeah. 
that are trying to generate that emotion for their own gain. And, um, and it's faulty. We trust the science. We trust what uh, WPATH is doing in terms of their current guidelines. There is rigor that's attached to research. There's more rigor than somebody standing up there on a pulpit saying that transgenders should be eradicated because they're posing, uh, they're damaging to our moral and social framework, which is the message that's coming across. And my goodness, it's it's heartbreaking, especially like especially for young folks that over the last year are, are starting to grow into their own and becoming themselves and being happy for the first time in their lives. And suddenly they have these these things that are opened up to them and the fear that things are going to be closed down again. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Very much fear mongering. I'm not sure it needs the caveat, pardon my language, before fear mongering. Okay. I think that's an accurate description <laughs> of it and not a swear word as such. But uh, <laughs> you mentioned earlier Brandon being sort of a semi rural area. Mm-hmm. And I think for a lot of us in the sort of, you know, big cities, we think of the, I guess, the push back against gender diversity in a certain way. And in a big city, you tend to have a larger community that you can connect with. So there are more safe spaces, at least in our minds. Is that the case? Are there fewer safe spaces in a more rural area like Brandon? Or are we thinking about this all wrong? Is Brandon just like any other uh, major city with a few detractors and a strong community? Now, I can only speak my experience. I can't speak to other folks because I know that there are people in our community that have faced a, a fair amount of negativity in this community. That being said, Brandon's very unique. And I, I know that uh, you said that there'd be an opportunity to discuss Brandon, specifically <laughs> Brandon Manitoba. So I will. And right. this is, uh, But again, I'm pontificating. This isn't hard science here, but it's just, you know, my view of things. I I moved to Brandon in uh, 2005. That's when I started working here. It was very similar in geography to where I did my uh, PhD, my graduate training, which is Grand Forks, North Dakota. What I had noted about Brandon, when I moved here anyway, was that Brandon did have this kind of little big town approach. It It's, it's this hub, if you can call a a population of 50,000 people of being a hub, but right. it's a hub to the uh, to the kind of the rural Westman area, which is kind of the surrounding kind of surrounding landmass, which is where, you know, typically, as you could appreciate, more uh, agricultural. And so folks who are rural do tend to go to and, and, and concentrate into Brandon quite regularly, quite often there's that sense of community. We're having what's called the, at the beginning of spring, our winter fair right now this week. And that is a a kind of an agricultural expo and, um, you know, and opportunity for folks to kind of show off the best in their horses and all things kind of agricultural and rural. It's a celebration of rurality. So, it does have that small town piece. Something interesting happened in Brandon in 2005, though, around that area, is that we had a wave of immigration 
coming here because of uh, um, our uh, I made belief. I can can I use the an actual <laughs> the the actual name, but uh, yeah. our our processing plants and and our industrial sector were uh, encouraging folks, and I believe there was this network of folks that were coming in from the Ukraine at that time from the Ukraine from Laos. Right. from Mauritius in Africa, from the Philippines, from Central America. So you had you had this kind of very quickly and very in a very concentrated way, this melting pot. So there are and as we know, the best way to kind of challenge folks in some kind of some of their uh, some of those negative, like I talked about implicit biases before, is exposure. So you had the Brandon became very interesting because you had these cultures that they wouldn't have experienced before, that they had to work side by side with folks. That you're, And Brandon is a small community. So it really is, um, like I said, it's this is pontification and not steeped in any hard science. But you had folks who really had to go through some attitudinal adjustments. Right. So with that... Uh, in my experience, especially for somebody who had lived in other places and who have friends who live in other places in Manitoba, Brandon is actually, in my opinion, quite accepting. There, right. I still might very well be the only, because of population, I still might be the only transgender person that they know. But they're, you know, based on prior history, they've had to accommodate to other uh, worldviews, right? Other, other getting out of their comfort zone in the past. So my experience is that folks actually had been very welcoming, or at the very least, tolerant. I, I, I don't like that term tolerance, but I haven't, with the exception, with the exception of the last three or four months, which changed things. Prior to that, I hadn't experienced much in terms of negativity. The last three or four months, things have changed. And like I said, I, it's, it's my uh, belief, Eric, that a lot of this has to do with, with the media and what folks are seeing. And like I said, those things that we're, um, that we're unaware of, those things that are unknown can be very scary. And you have those fear-mongering that will, that will elicit that kind of polarizing response. For sure. But overall, yeah. yeah. Sorry, we have less than four minutes left, after oh which this God. Zoom will cut us off very okay. rudely. Yeah. So no, I wanted no, to okay. close with just one thing. 51 years old, two years ago, you decide you're going to come out, you're going to start the re hormone replacement therapy, but you're already an established psychologist. How mm -hmm. has your practice as a psychologist changed since then? Is it any different? Are you seeing more gender diverse clients? Uh, how How is it different now? So currently, uh, my work has been not because I had transitioned, just because the nature of uh, the work that we're doing. I've kind of transitioned more in terms of of a consultative practice. 
with the uh, community mental health workers and our multidisciplinary health teams. So I haven't been doing as much. And currently, I'm not doing any individual therapy work. But that isn't due to my transition. That is due specifically to resource allocation and such. It's like, how do we get the specialist to be able to be as effective to as broad a range of people as possible? So I've become more of a consultant to those folks who are uh, yeah in our multidisciplinary team. However, I get requests on a regular, free, on a very frequent basis to see somebody who is uh, gender diverse, their child, for instance, even just suggestions for what do I do? I'm not a child psychologist. I'm an adult psychologist. So I can't speak to what to do. I refer folks to child psychologists who are kind of equipped to to handle that. Uh, but um, one of the things I, I think that uh, because I, I had worked with clients for a number of years that were kind of on this journey with me when I transitioned. Um, and what I found interesting is that people uh, stayed. I don't th- I think I might have had one person, two people that had opted not to continue working with me because my, you know, because my coming out didn't agree with their, you know, with, 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 with their belief system. But for the most part, they stuck with me, asked questions. And I think what it did was kind of open up their worldview a little bit more. Oh, this is somebody that I respected. This is somebody that I kind of, that I, that I, that I know. This isn't the stereotype that I might have had regarding somebody who is transgender. So so my practice has changed, Eric, but not because of that and or not because of my transition. However, what I can say is that my energy with uh, being a social advocacy has increased tremendously. It's changed my research aims, it's changed my community involvements, and it's changed my advocacy in a huge way. I take that very important. And I do recognize that uh, because I'm a registered clinical psychologist, that I, I wear that hat. Even when I'm performing and shaping, shaking my butt on stage as Anastasia <laughs> Jane, people do know me as the psychologist. So I, I'm, and we I'm, will, and we're going to close this out. Yeah. This will cut us off, and I apologize. We're okay. going to close this out with one of your Anastasia Jane tunes as a performer. Which one should we pick? Do you have a particular favorite? I think let's do from a chrysalis. All right. That is my coming out story. Thank you to Dr. Anastasia Jane Gibson for joining me today on Mindful. And thanks to you at home for listening, streaming, downloading, leaving a review, or putting this episode on pause while you eat dinner and intending to return to it later. Uh, whatever it is you do. Mindful is written, booked, published, and hosted by me, Eric Bullman. Our editor and producer is Jamie Montgomery. Our theme music, which opened today's episode, is Avenues by David Taylor. Today, though, we are going to close the show with a song by musician Anastasia Jane, and we're going to play the whole song, so don't stop listening now. This is From a Chrysalis by Anastasia Jane. In these shadows, I had wallowed, just too scared to Looked for reasons 
Yeah.